birthed in my spirit to start a Bible college here at House of Restoration Church. We started with three young men, and two out of those three graduated, uh, I believe it was last year, and so that was two. This year we've already had uh, three others graduate, and Jeff was in that group back in July, and uh, due to uh, unforeseen circumstances, uh, a Dodge Dakota traveling about 65 miles an hour, okay, uh, he was not uh, able to be here for that, so he's going to be graduating today, and uh, also Colin, I think he just stepped out, so I'm going to go ahead and put my mantle on today, and uh, just as a symbol of ministry and the, the power of God that I believe rests upon ministers, how many of you still respect admire and pray for those that are in ministry i got three on that oh there's some more over there okay seven eight nine ten it's very important they uh i'm going to be preaching a sermon today called the 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 call the call and uh i was a young man 17 years old in a little country church in hollis oklahoma and uh went off on wheat harvest and there was a revival in that church and some five or six of the young men and ladies in that church were called into ministry and eventually I got right with God and was called also so how many of you know someone has to take up the mantle someone has to take up the mantle and it's very important that they be called and it's not a local call (laughs) amen praise God it's a long distance call it's a connection when God begins to you can't hardly explain it explain it but uh, uh, I just knew as a young man I wanted to spend the rest of my life ministering to people and loving people and serving God and doing what I could to quote make a difference in people's lives so I'm going to call up uh, Jeff and Colin today just come up here and and uh, Jeff if you want to remain seated for a minute we'll let him go first because I know it's tough for you to keep standing for a long time I'm just going to ask uh Call him to step on up here, and uh, you get to use the microphone today a little bit, too, here in a minute. No. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, man, so proud of you, so proud of you. Man, God has just, the uh, last couple of years, done some miracles in his life, and here's his beautiful wife, Leslie, today, and Bella. And... I was going to do that. Oh, you were? Okay, <laughs> sorry. Who's got the mic now? No, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, and, and he's very respectful. <laughs> of authority, right? No. Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. Anyway, uh, yeah, thank you. Jeff, you can come on up. We would like to have you up here close with us, We, were, if you would like to. So anyway, uh, as we went through this uh, class the last couple of years, uh, we, we do it a little different format. It's not just lecture time. We all interact. We sit in a circle or close together, and we talk about uh, whether we're teaching the book of the Holy Spirit, or knowing the doctrines of the Bible, the life of Paul, on and on and on. There's six different books that they go through over this two-year period. But we sit and talk one-on-one with each other, and it's, a, it's something you don't find in a lot of Bible colleges. And uh, we get a lot of good interaction going, and I know it's impacting lives. And Colin's one of the ones that, that jumps in there with some comments, got a lot of knowledge. Uh, for about a year and a half or two, he worked at a welding shop. And while he was welding all day long... The New Testament, just the New Testament, both of them, the Old and the New Testament, were playing in his, his earbuds all day long. So the Word of God has been planted deeply in his heart. A lot of knowledge and, and just so proud of him. So 
You can have the mic now. He stole some of my thunder. That's okay. Before I get into my notes, there's one thing that I didn't add, and I really should have. Whenever I was 10 years old, I was actually called into ministry. I'm going to try and get through this, okay? I was called into ministry whenever I was 10, and I ran from it for 25 years. And it wasn't until three years ago when I had just found my way back to God in the truest of ways. I was asking God for a place to serve, a place to grow, a place to be of use. It wasn't long after that that I received an invitation from an old friend to check out a church that taught the whole word of God and was a place I could serve, a place that I had prayed for. At the same time, I had been discussing with God the brutal reality of my inability to sign up for or attend any formal seminary school. Well, it was only after I finally decided to get out of my own comfortability, my own comfortable circumstances, that I then learned God had answered both of these prayers with one move. Not only was I given... Not only was I stepping into a place where I could serve, but a place where I could learn. Far beyond the depths of any normal discipleship in church settings, with thousands of hours, like he was talking about, spent in the Word. Hundreds of hours spent in books about the precepts of Scripture. And nearly as many hours in discussion about all these things with my fellow ministers. And although the pursuit of a deeper understanding of God is never truly over until the veil of this mortal coil is lifted, and oh Lord, I'm waiting for that day, I have reached a milestone, one that's 25 years in the making. And a solemn understanding of the mantle of responsibility that I have taken upon myself. A couple years ago, Pastor Christensen shared the story of a martyred pastor in Zimbabwe and the written prayer that was found in his desk. It says, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away. And I won't be still. My past is redeemed. My present finally makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I am no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, 
tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by his power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, and my way is rough. My companions are few, but my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes. I must give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. For two years, I've had this prayer posted beside my bathroom window, my bathroom mirror, as a daily reminder of why I am here, why we're all here. I am not here for my own gain or gratification, but for his glory and exaltation. So I will gladly leave the fate of my life in the hands of God because the moment I began to do it, my life changed. Life still has its problems. So while my life did begin a different and wonderful trajectory, part of which is sitting right there, the greatest change, however, being truly of a new mind from depression and PTSD to spirit-filled and living free. Proving my faith and trust in Him over and over and over again. Showing that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. Wow, I love that reading that he just read, uh, Fellowship of the Unashamed, man. It pretty much puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Well, we have a mission, don't we? Amen. Jeff, so glad God has healed you and raised you up. And I know you've been through a, a lot the last few months, and here you are. We're giving the devil a black eye today, aren't we? Hallelujah. Bless you. You look sharp, too. Thank you. Are you preaching today? <laughs> David sent me a text, said I had five minutes, so, so much for a sermon. Some of you don't know me, you don't, I've been here the last couple Sundays and Wednesdays, my name's Jeff Bolton, I'm usually here on Sundays, I'm usually helping with the kids stuff, uh, uh, I ask myself a question, who am I, and, and I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I uh, 
the Bible says that some of us here that are the most when we're here are the least in heaven. And some of us here that are least here are the most in heaven. And I'm just going to be a humble servant. I don't have plans for pastoral duties. I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit to move me there. Whenever that happens, how it happens, I'm going to continue to serve this church as mightily as I can. I, uh, I have two friends here today, Curtis and Debbie Steffler, right over here. David was talking about a miracle in me. Well, 2014, we, we were praying up Keith Curtis in this church. He had kidney cancer in stage four. Stage five is uh, when you're in the ground with a headstone. They took his kidney out. All the cancer came out with it. Miracle. And he's doing great. He's got a couple hiccups now that doctors are working on, but uh, he's going to be fine. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of my journey here. I, uh, five years ago, a gentleman named LaRue Vaughn, who David and I know, and some of you have met him and been to his uh, ministerial things in, in El Reno, he had a group meet every once a month, and it's called Men of Standards. He invited men, but uh, wives and whatever could come. And it was a church service held in the community center. It wasn't uh, made for just men, but uh, and people would speak there, preach there. Uh, and I had, I didn't know, but I was having, I was having revelation every day about speaking there. Well. LaRue had cancer. I don't know exactly what kind, but they had to amputate one of his arms. They said that was going to cure it. Well, it didn't. He only lasted nine more months or something and had his funeral. But he and I became close fast. And sometimes he'd call me at work for <laughs> two hours at a time, but I was working some then too. But uh, at the very end, he said the, the Holy Spirit told him to. He's an ordained pastor, and he's full of the Spirit, just him and his wife. At this breakfast thing at 8 o'clock on the Saturdays we met, his wife would cook up this whole spread of breakfast food, and we'd have music, just like a church service. And he had had it in this place, I believe, because it was a neutral site. You're not coming to somebody's church. You're not feeling any of the ambiguities of... If you're not a church person, you, you're not under that, whatever it is. The devil, we know the devil's alive and well. And uh, um, but at the very end, he said, the Holy Spirit told me I need to preach. And he said, he said, don't worry about stepping on any fingers. He said, let her rip. Well, he didn't live long enough to do any of that. I'm going to carry that torch. I'm going to let it rip. When I'm here, it's going to be just like everybody else is standing here. It's going to be God's truth, good, bad, or otherwise. I've, David's talked to me a couple of times after some sermons. He goes, man, that was, that was pretty strong. I'm going, yeah, 
It was, but it's the truth. The truth, the truth sets us free. But uh, I'm so thankful to be here. I, uh, I bought this suit so I could be here July the 24th and be up here. Uh, that day I was having my second life-saving surgery. I had fractured two vertebrae in my neck, and I've been recovering ever since. Thank you, Lord. Uh, you know, the Spirit is in me. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I, I accepted it before then. I was never scared. Never. Uh, the Holy Spirit in me, I think, was just, just running my running my life. My body was on autopilot, but uh, I was uh, I witnessed to nurses and healthcare workers. I had a young lady. She's probably 20. She's a first-year nursing student, and she was real communicative and really, really nice, and she was working under a nurse. She was kind of shadowing her, and allowed her to, allowed me to be her, her patient, and a bunch of things she has to do for her schooling, and, and uh, asked if she'd been to church, and some. She was born in Thailand. There's a long story for her family there. It's not all positive, but it's going good now. And I said, do you know Christ is your Savior? She said, well, I, I think I do, and I, I made sure. I made sure. We talked about it a lot and had her pray to receive Christ. And uh, asked her if she'd read the Bible. She said, no, it was too confusing. I said, well, you... She had a King James, so I'm... I'm better with King James now, but uh, I have a new King James now, but uh, I told her to get a living Bible, which is the first one I read, the green one, and you can understand it in better words. There's some things about different renditions of the Bible that, oh, there's how the translation comes through sometimes. But I... uh, I got hit from behind. I was in a, on the job in a Suburban, and I'm trying to turn onto Watt Street in El Reno off a country club, three blocks south of 66. This spot my Suburban was in was just 100 feet from my house, and my work is just six or seven blocks further. And I see this flash in the rearview mirror, It's a Dodge Durango doing about 65. I mean, flying, absolutely flying. I can judge speed. I've always had an interest in cars and drag racing and stuff, and I can tell you, look at it and tell you about how fast it's going. And uh, since I saw the flash, the impact happened, and I was uh, immediately praying. And... uh, I moved my hands and I moved my feet, and I knew the miracle had already started. Number one, I wasn't dead, and number two, I wasn't paralyzed. If I'd been paralyzed, I, I wouldn't have made it to the hospital alive. My breathing would have stopped because the, the C6 is right here, and uh, everything runs through there nearly. Your breathing, your movement, your arms. So. 
my blessing had already started. I go to uh, OU Medical, a, me a gentleman named Santaram Valerapalli. He's obviously from India. He did my surgeries. We, uh, he did the top one, C6. He was, uh, I could have sneezed or coughed and taken my own life. So I got to this, the 19th. The surgery started a little bit after midnight of the 19th, so it had been early 20, the 20th. Got that done, and I really was doing well. And we had a conversation, and about not having the surgery on the second one, and I talked to him about it a long time. And uh, I would have had to live in a little bubble for three months while the thing healed itself. Well, I told him I had faith. He said, well, you got to understand how this has to work out. We all know here, everybody here is of one accord. We know how imperfect our world is. Not any doubts. So I called Curtis and I called somebody else and talked about it and prayed about it and called the surgeon. I said, let's just do the, the T6 also. And uh, so I had two surgeries in four days. And they wake me up after the second surgeon I didn't know. She said, do you know where you are? I said, well, no. Do you know what happened? Well, no. You got to be careful what you tell them because they take it all seriously. And she asked me who I was and my birth date. And I told her, but I didn't really want to tell her that. I wanted to tell her I was Joe Biden, but... <laughs> but I didn't. Then you get the, the psych doctors coming in and going, ah, and they're taking it all seriously, so you don't do that. I uh, say I bought this suit for the 24th of July. I, uh, I've lost some weight. Had to find some suspenders. Had to figure out how to tie a tie again. I, I, I don't know what happened with that. I watched the three-minute video twice. Uh, so this morning, I'm getting my new suit out of this fancy bag they put it in. Um, if you don't believe it's a new suit, I'll show you here in a second. And um, got my shirt on. I'm trying to tie the tie. And I used to wear a suit every day at my old church for 18 years. And uh, it's been since 20, I've been here since 2013, March the 3rd. I've known David since 1998, and um, first as a great friend, and also first as a great pastor. You'll always be my pastor. I've had good pastors, but you're the man. God has anointed him at the age of 17 to start this church to do what needs to be done to teach people the truth of God's word. The whole truth, not just parts of it, not discounting it, not giving you the love message 52 weekends a year, but to guide and lead people. And I'm so thankful. 
if there's somebody that embodies a pastor, if there's any of them in the country that embodies Jesus Christ, I think it's you. I'm thankful. And the other people that come up here that preach from this spot, they're the same. Brother, Brother Terry. Brother Terry, John, Juan, anybody else that's, you know, I'm thankful. I, uh, no, I finally got my suit situated. My tie's not too swift, but yeah, I got all the tags off of it and the pants and the suspenders and like, ah. And uh, I'm walking in the door and uh, missed, missed a tag. So, yeah, it's a new suit. I might leave that one on there. So, I'm glad I'm here too. I'm thankful, but uh, appreciate you all and all your prayers. I, uh, I'm lifted up. I'm changed. Uh, if this has to be part of my, my uh, ministry, I'm, I'm thankful because of it because I, I was uh, saved again. It's not my, it's not my first running with the door of death in 1979 there's a medical ailment called ulcerative colitis it almost took my life then I was 20 years old Uh, was was sick they did a surgery on me saved my life again Uh, I got out of the hospital I'm 6 foot 3 I got out of the hospital I weighed 100 pounds and when I was in high school, I weighed 155, and I was pretty skinny then. <laughs> but 100 was, uh, was a bit much. But uh, I want to thank you all again. I appreciate every one of you, and looking forward to, to being here every Sunday again. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Such a heart for God and for people and children. Just has served faithfully back there in our children's ministry and so many, uh, I could go on and on today about Brother Jeff and his heart. and Just, uh, again, thankful for both of these young men and uh, look forward to what God's going to do through them uh, in ministry here. I'm going to ask you guys some questions here. Uh, if you uh, make sure you're kind of ready for this deal. Is that okay? All right. Name the three books in the Bible that lists the different, I'm messing with them here today, <laughs> all right, uh, I was going to see if they really were listening in these classes, you know, kind of out of all that material, but uh, here's, the, here's the questions, moved by your love for God and a sincere desire to proclaim the gospel of salvation among all people, are you now ready to take up on you this holy ministry and faithfully serve in it? Will you tend the flock of Christ committed to your care, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for worldly gain, but that men and women may be made free in him? Hey, thank you. Will you make faithful effort duly to administer the ordinances in purity, to preach the word of the everlasting God, to proclaim the gospel of Christ, to lead disciples into the presence of God, and his healing spirit, to minister to them the truth of God as contained in the Holy Scriptures, to guide them in the way of life, which is Christ, that they may be found in him 
and be claimed for service in his kingdom? Do you promise to be diligent in prayer, in the reading of the scriptures, and in such studies and devotions as will increase your knowledge of God and his kingdom? Study to show yourself what? Approved unto God. Will you endeavor in the strength and grace of Jesus Christ our Lord to live a life of sincere discipleship, to be loyal to the call of duty, and to faithfully discharge all the work of the ministry entrusted to you? Do you accept the faith and order of House of Restoration Church and promise to be loyal to this fellowship, that it may more and more be a fruitful branch of the church universal, and while cherishing brotherly love toward all the faithful followers of Christ everywhere, do you engage to labor earnestly that the purity, peace, and strength of this, your chosen church, may be increased? All right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask them to step down front today. And uh, we're going to pray over them. I mean, you know, the Bible has uh, some explicit scriptures regarding the laying on of hands. It's a commission. It's a, if you look at the word, it's a, it's a, it's a charge. It's a special anointing. Uh, we're going to look at some scriptures here. In the New Testament, the laying on of hands was very important. In Acts 6, we, 6, we read how the seven were chosen to manage the daily distribution of food the need for this ministry arose because there was a conflict between the greek-speaking jews and the aramic-speaking jews in the jerusalem church the congregation was instructed to select seven spirit-filled men to handle this problem before these men took up this ministry we read these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands upon them acts 6 6 so by the laying on of hands these servants were formally consecrated to their new office and ministry. Also, when the church at Antioch was led by the Spirit to set apart Paul and Barnabas for missionary work, it did so by the laying on of hands. So, we see how, again, very important this is. In Paul's writings to Timothy, we find two other clear references to the laying on of hands. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you through prophecy with the laying on of hands of the church council, 1 Timothy 4.14. And then 2 Timothy 1.6, Hence I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. So we know that hands were laid upon those set apart for ministry to symbolize their divine equipping and consecration to the work. I want to ask the, those of you that have already either graduated from the Bible college or you're in the Bible college now or you're a minister, God has called you, would you come up and uh, we're going to uh, anoint these with oil and lay hands on them and commission them to go forth and do the works of Jesus.
Praise you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for all of you coming up and praying over them. They're ready to go, right? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jeff, I'm going to start with you. Oh, you got his Bible there? Okay. Good, good. You going to help me, Beth? All right, because you actually graduated July the 24th. We have a special gift. For you from the church, this Dakes Bible, you've already familiarized yourself with it some. And, uh, and also here is a certificate showing that you have completed all the required subjects in our Bible college to be ordained in ministry. And then lastly, we've just prayed over you. This is your mantle. Praise God. Symbolical. <laughs> Hallelujah of the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to abide on you and rest on you all the days of your life. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Here you go, Bev. Let you present that. Colin, same thing here. Here's you a Dakes Bible filled with lots of good stuff. It's going to be a pop quiz here uh, in about a month, okay? No. This guy consumes a lot of information, brilliant, brilliant, lots of knowledge, but has a heart for people and for our youth. He's our youth pastor, him and Leslie, and just so thankful for you. And uh, here's your certificate showing that you can uh, hang this in your wall, in your office, wherever you want to. It shows that you have graduated uh, with honors uh, from House of Restoration Bible College. Praise God. And lastly, again, praise the Lord. This mantle represents the call of God on your life and the power of God that he's going to place upon you and he's going to use you mightily in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give the Lord praise today, church. He's raising up young men and women, Lord God, to fulfill their call. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated, and we'll, uh, we'll continue on. Wow. Just a powerful, powerful presence here today in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I am aware of the time, so I will uh, definitely not give you the whole load today unless the Spirit decides differently, okay? That's the little ask, you know, that's the disclaimer, okay? I mean, if you've noticed that you have all this information, there's a little asterisk at the, at the bottom. But I do want to talk just for a minute about the call. That's the title of this uh, message today is The Call. How does someone get, quote, called into ministry? We're going to look at this some today. We're first of all going to look at the first four uh, disciples of Christ and how uh, Jesus called them into ministry. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, throwing a dragnet into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come after me as disciples, letting me be your guide. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and became his disciples. They sided with his party and followed him. That's the amplified version. Kind of bears it out a little bit more. Verse 21. Okay, I'll read it. I have it right here. Praise the Lord. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Did you notice their reaction? What did they do? Immediately left their nets. They had already heard about Jesus. He had already been doing miracles in the communities around about the Sea of Galilee, and so they were aware of this man named Jesus. Peter was kind of struggling with, with uh, something new. He was kind of mad at God. And anybody ever watched the, the, the movie The Chosen? Some of you. And, and in season one, episode four, it kind of shows, you know, the night before he's out there angry at God. He can't catch any fish. The Roman soldiers are about to come and get him and perhaps throw him in prison or even maybe take his... His life, because uh, John the Baptist had just been uh, beheaded by Herod. So there's a lot going on in his mind. He's upset. He's frustrated. He toils all night and catches nothing. The next morning, we find Jesus there teaching some disciples by the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter comes in. He's, you know, working on his boat. Uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they're over here working on this on their boat. So we're going to tune in this morning just for a minute, for about five minutes in that actual video if we can get this to to pull up here and let you kind of get a glimpse of the first four that were called
put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me.
as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> You've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? Go, <laughs> now. Woo! Hallelujah. Wasn't that good? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you. My, the calling. Just, uh, man, they, you know, I, I was thinking about this even yesterday as I was preparing. Just the fact that they left everything. They forsook it all and began to follow Jesus. Wow. Took an act of faith, did it not? Act of faith on their part to realize that they had been praying for him all these years, and here he is. And, you know, it's kind of the same way with us sometimes. We've been praying for things, and all of a sudden it happens, and, you know, we're just like in awe and shock almost. This really happened, you know, type thing. And, and yet we find that God takes these four young, untrained uh, young men thrust them into ministry, and look at the... Man, here we are, what, 2,000 uh, or so years plus, years later, looking back at their call and the call that God had on their lives. I want to say this today. I've got a lot to say, but I'm, I'm condensing. You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. Are you all out there? I said, you can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. He's going to change you. He's going to mold you and shape you into who he wants you to be. Now, you can fight that. You can resist that. And some of us got the knots on our head and the T-shirt, right, trying to fight against that. But God, you know, I did a series last year, I think it's three or four uh, Sundays, on Jesus equals change lives. Everywhere Jesus went, lives were changed. You can look at it, you can study it, you can research it for yourself. But everywhere he went, lives were changed because of the power of God resting on him, the anointing of God. You know, we as preachers sometimes and as ministers, and I know we talk about this a lot in the class, we can't change anybody. How many figured that out? You know, you can't change another person. But you can sure pray and pray and pray and watch God change them into someone he can use for his glory. Quickly today, three things. What are the characteristics of a disciple? Number one, they are students of the word. They study, don't they? They study and they study. And these have gone through, I'm going to guess, probably in this uh, six-book series, close to a 1,000 scriptures out of the word of God, from dispensations and ages to the Holy Spirit to the doctrines, uh, uh, knowing the doctrines of the Bible, on and on. But, you know, really, I was thinking about this yesterday. They're even more than a student. They're an apprentice. Is there a difference in a student and an apprentice? We probably, in our terms today, don't even understand the word apprentice, but it's someone that trains under someone else. And the, the, in, back in the rabbinical uh, discipleship, they would actually, if a young man was trained to be a rabbi, he, he lived with, he stayed with, he was with this rabbi, rabbi day in and day out, learning, 
all the Torah, all the law, all the things. And, and Jesus kind of modeled that same thing. He took these 12 disciples, and in this movie Chosen, you'll see them. They're out living off the land, just trusting God every day for their food and their clothing and, and everything. And, and yet he spent three years with them, and they became apprentices. When it, whenever he left, they didn't quit, did they? No, they did not quit. In fact, some of them said, I'm not worried, you know, uh, Peter, I believe it was, said, you know, Jesus was crucified on the cross. He said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified that way. Crucify me upside down. So they, they got it. They got it. They got the call, and they became students of the word. They moved forward with the plan that God had for their, for their lives. Number two, a disciple places Jesus above everyone and everything else. I preach shorter when I get a lot of amens. Just FYI. I said, a disciple places Jesus above everything and everyone. First place. Number one, Jesus. In fact, there's even a scripture here that bears this out. I do have to share this. Because some of you are going to go, wow. Jesus said that. Luke 14, verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin... Until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. I am thinking about this, these two verses myself right now. I'm not worrying about it, but I'm not going to start building and planning a church in this area and not know, amen, that I, have, I know who the source is, but we're not going to do something halfway and then uh, get stopped right in the middle of it. Can you say amen? amen? We count the cost. We look at it. We examine it. And then he gives another illustration here of, a, uh, of an army and a soldier. They would say there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And you know, this is kind of, that first verse there is kind of hard, must hate it's really kind of a, a Hebrew hyperbole. Everybody understands what a hyperbole is. It's an exaggerated statement not meant to be taken literally. He meant that you must love me more than anything, anyone else. I must be number one, must be first place. You know, we, we think of a hyperbole. Anybody ever said this? I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, that's a hyperbole right there, right? You're not going to really eat a horse, right? Has anybody out there ever ate a horse? <laughs> I don't, don't think so. So 
Again, it's an exaggerated statement, but it got their attention. He wanted them to know the cost of being a disciple. It's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to surrender your life. You're going to have to lay it down before the master and say, Here am I, Lord, as Jeremiah did. Use me. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I've preached in India. I've preached in Mexico. I've preached in New Mexico. A lot of different places in my life. I'm thankful for the call of God on my life. As I look back over it, I haven't done possibly as much as some others, but I've done what God has called me to do, and that's be faithful and serve him diligently with all my heart. Praise God. And if this church is going to continue on, it will take some sold-out people. Amen? I've noticed something. Since COVID, the church has got lazy. Not just this church. Not just this church. We were talking yesterday. When we used to call an outreach to the homeless, there would be 25 or 30 people here wanting to go and help. Five yesterday. Oh, it's, you know, I had family things going on. I had this and that. I understand that. What did he say about that? Not willing. You must leave. Uh, pretty straightforward, wasn't it? Pretty straightforward. And if again, this church and every church, we've got to get back to God, committed to God, putting him number one in our life again. Or uh, we won't be around here in five years. Amen? I'm not going to do it by myself. And my team of five or six is not going to do it by themselves. We're going to do it together. But we're going to be committed. We're going to be committed to God. And when pastor calls a work day, or pastor calls a serve day, or we've got something going on here, we're going to be committed to it. Say, oh me. Or amen. Amen. Praise God. It's going to take that. Amen. I'm sure not going to start off into a million-dollar adventure by myself. I'll tell you that. Praise God. In fact, we've got a questionnaire here we're going to have you fill out probably next week that we're going to find your level of commitment. So here we go. Number three. Pardon me as I stop and meddle a little bit, right? Some of y'all are squirming. <laughs> Amen. Squirming just a little bit. Uh, you know, don't, don't get all squirmy on me now, okay? Just... Receive it. Receive it. As a word from the Lord. Amen. Praise God. It's the church, not just this church. Man, I'm, this is rising up in me. We have got to get back to doing what God has called us to do. And quit being so selfish and self-centered and doing our own thing. Amen. It's If we're ever going to win the loss, if we're ever going to have a great church, if we're ever going to uh, you know, do anything. Praise God. And I know the ones that need to hear some of this are not here today. Maybe they're watching or will watch later. But I'm, I, uh, one thing about this church, we're going to preach the truth in love. Now, I love everybody. It's kind of like parent, parenting, right? Do you ever have to discipline your children? You do it. Why? For their benefit. Amen. You love them. Lastly, number three, a disciple is one who follows, not leads. Even Jesus was a follower. He said, I must do the will of him who sent me. Several times, you, you'll find that in the, the four Gospels. I must be about my father's business. I must submit to his 
lordship of my life. And even, you know, if you look uh, later on in his life, Paul talked about it and wrote about it. He submitted to the form of even laying down his life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 says, Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. Who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but stripped himself. Everybody say stripped himself. One, one verse in the King James, I think, says humbled himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. One verse said he abased himself, he humbled himself in absolute obedience to God. We must get to that place in our lives. Amen? We, we are obedient to God. We're, we're, we humble ourselves before his mighty hand. Praise God. Let's stand together. I've got a lot more. I want to just say this today, though, in closing. When you surrender your life to God, it no longer belongs to you. If you're living for your own life, for your own dreams, for your own self, for your own purpose, for your own agenda, for your own plan, you're going to run into trouble. I'm telling you that. There will be a lot of trouble. But if you surrender your life to Christ, in fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says you are bought with a price. God paid something for you. He paid the death of his son that you might have eternal, everlasting life. Are you thankful for that? Praise God. I know this has been a challenge today. It's been a, a wake-up call for us, and I make no apologies for it because it uh, was in my spirit. The Holy Spirit anointed me, I believe, to preach this to you today. And again, it's very straightforward, but we've got to get back to God. Amen? We've got to get, get back to seeing even more young men and women called into ministry, moving forward. You know, that's, that's, that's what a church should be. The, the real purpose of the church is people come, they find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and become attenders of the church. Then they get involved in ministry. Then they get commissioned or ordained and go out in ministry. But at the same time, once they're here, they're going out getting the unchurched. It's called evangelism, which is something we've got to do in our day-to-day -day lives. If we want more people, we're going to have to go out and evangelize knock doors, uh, talk to people at the grocery store. That's the true circle of the church. Unchurch, attenders, membership, ministry, round and round goes the, goes the, the uh, merry-go-round. So, Lord, I thank you today. I praise you for these two young men, Lord God, that you've called into ministry. They've understood it. They've listened and become obedient. Lord, there's others here in ministry today as well. They understand it. I understand it, God, that it's a, it's a life of surrender to you. But it's the best life. As I look back over my life, I'm thankful, Lord, for ministry and Hollis, 
Oklahoma and Ardmore and Hobbs, New Mexico, Bethany, and now here in Yukon. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, that you called me. Thank you. Lord, it's been a blessed, blessed, blessed life. Many lives, Lord, just touched, and we give you the glory and the praise and the honor for all that you've done. Lord, I see you using these young men and women in this church, Lord, as I watch them standing up here and sharing from their heart and see them going out and outreach and different ministries, God, it just uh, blesses me so much. Thank you, Lord, for all of our ministries, for all of our people that are involved in ministry. We want to do more. We want to do more. Lord, I've laid the, the mantle out today. Commitment, perseverance, never give up. Lord, we follow after you and we seek you and we want one more person or just one more person. One more person today. One more person tomorrow, God. Bring them into the fold. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you today. Hallelujah. With our eyes closed today, just for a moment, there may be someone here today that you feel like God has a call on your life and you've been struggling with it. And you'd like today to surrender your life to the Lord and say, God, I want, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to be used by you for the rest of my life. Anyone here today, as we wait for a moment, yes, back in the back, I want to be used for God. Hallelujah. Anyone else? I'm looking to my right. Anybody over here in the right or the middle or to my left? I want to give my life to the Lord and be used for his glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. These original four fishermen turned the world upside down, them plus eight more. It's amazing what God can do in and through someone, man or woman, boy or girl, that's sold out to him. So we're going we're gonna to keep preaching it. We're going to keep teaching it that God wants to use you, that God has a plan for your life. He has the best life planned for you. It's Zoe life. Amen? Praise God. Lord, I thank you today for this hand that was raised. God wants to be used by you, wants to surrender his life to you, God. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. You're moving in this church, Lord. You're moving wherever people will allow you to move. Lord, I praise you that the Holy Spirit is being poured out across this land. You said in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You are doing that, Lord, and we're expecting a harvest. We're expecting men and women and young men and women, Lord, just to go forth and do great exploits for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are alive and well. We praise you today. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.